Hi, my name is Dr. Sarah Adams. I am a board-certified pediatrician, but I'm not your pediatrician. Feel free to use my podcast as helpful information, but in no way do I intend my podcast to replace the advice of your physician. Your physician knows you and is in the best position to provide medical advice. Hello, and welcome to Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. I love the fall. I love so many things about it. The change of the leaves. We live here in Northeastern Ohio, so we get that opportunity to see all the different colors. I love the cool, crisp air. I certainly love my uh, pumpkin spice cold brews for sure. And I also love just the excitement of other things that come with fall, like pumpkins and getting to dress up for various activities uh, around this time of year and costumes and things like that. And I would say that for most parents and kids, this is also one of their favorite times of year. But for some parents and children, this time of year can be challenging, especially because of the potential scary themes. In this episode, what I'm going to talk about today is I'm going to discuss Primarily three things. We're going to talk about, hey, scary movies. Should you let your child watch scary movies and just kind of how to navigate that? But I'm also going to talk about when your child has fears and phobias and the difference between the two and when to get help. So let's get started. I will tell you that when my kids were young, I was at least I tried, to do the best I can to make sure that what media exposure they had was relevant and appropriate for them. It's a lot more challenging these days for families, and I think you can agree. With social media, with tablets, with different video and real apps, things like that, there's so much more that we have to be watchful and make sure that what our kids are listening to and watching is something that makes them feel good, as opposed to something that makes them feel fearful or something that makes them feel down. So when it came to movies, when my kids were growing up, you know, that could be a challenge because number one, you know, they can... They can watch a movie based on, you know, different ways to stream it. They could see movies or, you know, watch something when they're at their friend's house. So we always had some guidelines. And the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of parents are always like, well, when it comes to scary movies, for example, you know, whether or not it's okay to watch scary movies or shows. And I'm going to tell you, it really depends on the child. Every child's different, right? So knowing your child is the key to determining what's best for them in any situation. And then it also depends on the movie or what they're watching. Some things can be frightfully fun, and some things go way beyond that. Some movies are just a little spooky and entertaining. There could be gentle thrills that can let kids kind of explore their kind of fears in a really safe environment. But other movies can be extremely scary and even violent. So 
right off the bat, any scary movies that can or videos or reels, let's just throw that in. So when I say movies, I'm going to talk about, you know, assume I'm talking about all of those things. But if they contain anything violent or have adult content, it can be very harmful, especially on young viewers. And that really depends on their behavior, their development, but the effect on their behavior and their mental health can be really profound. So where do we start? Well, for me, what was important is we had kind of a hard stop. I'm going to go all the way to R rating, but we had a hard stop when it came to anything that was R rated, you know, and and I'm talking about when my kids were teenagers. And this was important because when they go to a friend's house, for example, they knew what they could and couldn't watch. So when deciding whether what's suitable for your child, a good place to start is to look at the movie rating. So movies that are rated G or PG may have some spooky or creepy content, but is generally approved for all audiences. When it comes to movies that are pre-G-13, and especially R, they're likely to be scarier and have more violence and adult content. But these, I want to caution you that these ratings give you a gentle idea, a you know, a general idea of what the age appropriateness of the film is, but they really don't give parents complete insight into a film's content. So I want to uh, mention a website called Common Sense Media, and what they do is they review a movie's content and provide a breakdown as to what the child can be exposed to while viewing the film. This way, you get to really look into and judge for yourself whether this is an appropriate movie for your child. Another thing is if you do find that it, you know, you feel like it's something that they can watch, I always encourage co-viewing. Watch it with your kids. First and foremost, it, it can be an activity that you do together and a way to spend time together. But what's really awesome about that is you can talk about what it is that's going on in the movie with your child. You can discuss anything that comes up. You can judge for yourself if the content in the moment is bothering your child and then have the opportunity to just turn it off, you know, if you're watching with them. It's not uncommon for scary movies to continue to bother children even days after they've been viewing them. They could even have nightmares. So if your child has seen something that's upset or scared them, the best thing you can do is sit down and discuss it with them. Talk to your child. Remember that although some kids may be perfectly okay with spooky content, others may not enjoy it at all. I will tell you, growing up, we love to watch those old spooky movies like Dracula and Frankenstein and all those things. And I typically watched it with my siblings and my family, especially my mom, because she loved those scary movies. And we had an opportunity to talk about them, and I had the chance to express any fears. So remember that it is very important that you, you know, you open up that ability to communicate about what is going on and how they're feeling about, you know, the the show or the the spooky movie in general. Again, 
when it comes to, I know I mentioned about discussing rules, it's really important to set those rules and expectations and boundaries right off the bat with your kids, because sometimes they can feel pressured into watching a horror movie if they're with a group of friends. And, and so helping them learn to handle those situations while they're at a friend's house, um, especially if a movie is chosen that they aren't comfortable watching. Remind older children who might be more likely to be pressured that there are many adults who don't enjoy watching scary movies at all either, and that watching them does not mean it's a rite of passage or that, you know, there's something wrong with them if they're not. So make sure you kind of set up some guidelines like I did, and also be prepared to help your child get out of a situation that they might find to be uncomfortable. You know, childhood fears in general are not uncommon. I brought up the spooky movie thing, but I will tell you that even though I loved watching spooky movies, I had a fear of, well, I think for when I explained phobias, I definitely had probably what was more like a phobia of storms, especially lightning. But I also had a fear of dogs. And so I'm going to bring that up a little bit as a theme, but the comments that we're going to make can be about so many other fears. A fear of being alone in the dark. That's a common fear in childhood. And others like a fear of animals. Like I said, the dog, the barking dog. I used to walk to school and for and I had to go through the neighbor's backyard. And there was a dog there. And the dog was even on a chain. And I was terrified of this dog, okay? Some... Children are afraid of fires or high places, or as I mentioned, my own fear of thunderstorms. Others can be things like media image. And I want you to be very conscious about that, especially as we are seeing things of war and terrorism, etc. And I invite you to listen to the following week's podcast, where I'm really going to go into more detail about how to talk to your kids and appropriately relieve any kind of stresses that can come up when we're talking about things about war or terrorism, for example. But that can be a real thing, even if it's not occurring in our own community. Most childhood fears are mild. Most of them come and go. But when they get worse with reassurance and support, they generally go away and they, you know, kind of fizzle out, for lack of a better term, on their own. But it can take sometimes a while. So how do we ease our child's fears? I'm going to give you some suggestions that can be useful. So I'm going to tell you what to do, and then I'm also going to tell you what not to do, okay? So here's the the do's of helping your child deal with fears. So don't be afraid to talk about their anxieties. Open the conversation and ask open-ended questions. What is it about such and such and such that is fearful to you or brings you anxiety? or makes you scared. But just asking a yes or no question doesn't open up the ability for the child to explain and be sympathetic 
and mostly empathetic. Respond to what they say. Make sure they understand that you are listening and give them a chance to talk without interruption. And then reflect on what they've told you so that they know that you really did hear what they said and that they can continue to work with you to feel safe. Tell them that many children have fears, but with your support, they can learn to overcome them and, and that it's not, it's, it's very common. It's, it, we all have fears, maybe even share some of the fears that you had either as a child or even maybe some mild ones that you currently have and how you actually cope and manage with those. Be a role model. You probably hear me say that a lot in my podcast about modeling behavior. Then they get to see how you manage these things, and then they're likely to manage them very similarly as well. Monitor your child's media use. I can't bring this up enough. You know, we talked about like monitoring movies and reels and things like that, but even pictures and images, you know, can be extremely scary. Games, monitor the games that they're playing. And again, be very open and honest about what they can and can't do when they aren't in your care if they are an older child. And make sure that the media that they are participating in is age appropriate and that you don't be afraid to look into what you can do to be secure. I recommend a family media plan. I There's a whole nother podcast on how to create that. And the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is aap.org, also has a lot of information on how to develop a family media plan so that you can you don't have to you don't have to reinvent the wheels. You can come up with a plan that works best for your child. When it comes to responding to your child and being empathetic, it can be hard to kind of figure out, okay, how do I say this? Just telling them that they're going to be okay. I don't know about you, but usually when somebody says, oh, you're going to be okay, okay, you know, or that's nothing to fear, blah, blah, blah. Like, you, we need to respond with what I call empathetic statements or pearl statements. So hear me out. P for pearl is partnership. Tell them, like I mentioned before, it's very common to have different fears and partner with them that you're going to be able to help them get through this. E stands for empathy. Again, put yourself in their shoes. Get down to their level. See it from their eyes. And remember that they're navigating this new experience or recurrent fears and that you're there to help. A is acknowledge. As I mentioned, most people, you could say comments like, you know what, most people would be afraid, especially when that lightning strikes or the thunder is super loud. So acknowledge their fears so that they know that it isn't something that they've made up and that you really do hear them. And apologize. I'm not saying you have to apologize because of something you did or didn't do, but say, I'm sorry you're feeling this way, or I'm sorry that that dog scared you. Because then what you're doing is, again, acknowledging that what they're feeling is, is important, but you're going to help them. Respect. Of course, have respect. I'm going to talk about a couple don'ts, and I'll bring that up, but modeling respect 
is helpful when it comes to responding with empathy and uh, and helping them feel safe, seen, and heard. Right? Legitimizing again, legitimize what their what their fears are. I, I mentioned before that comment. I think anybody in your situation would feel that way, or that's a common fear that many people have. And then S on pearls is support. Let them know that you are here to support them. And like partnership, you're going to help them feel better and get over this. So what are the don'ts? The don'ts are don't belittle their fear. Don't ridicule the child's fear, particularly in front of others. Like don't talk about it to their peers or in front of their peers or to other people in the family. Um, Be open and upfront but don't belittle them, don't ridicule them, whether you're just talking to the child and especially in front of others. And don't try to pressure them to become brave. It's okay to help them. Affirmations of I am brave and I am strong, but don't pressure them to be that way. Don't tell them a don't would be to to not cry. Tell them it's okay to feel their feelings. But what you want to help them is you want to help the action that follows that feeling and ultimately how that is affecting their body emotionally or mentally and physically. And it will take time. So gradually help them move beyond their anxieties. So don't rush things. That's another don't. It's going to take time. And knowing that they are seen, heard, and feel safe, it will it will help go a long way and things will improve quicker than you think. So what's the difference between a fear and a phobia? Sometimes fears can become so extreme and persistent and focused that they develop into phobias. So phobias are strong and irrational fears that significantly interfere with the child's function. In other words, they interfere with the child's usual daily activities. I'll give you a couple examples. So six-year-old has a phobia about dogs that make them panicky and they refuse to go outside because there could be a dog there. I mentioned my fear of the dog in my neighbor's backyard, but I still walk to work or walk to work. (laughs) I still walk to school. So what I'm trying to say is that I was still able to function. So it was a fear, not necessarily a phobia. Another might be an older child who has become so terrified of like the news reports. Maybe it's something that's going on in another country or maybe a, you know, a a serial killer. And I know I'm being dramatic now, but that they insist on sleeping with you or sleeping with the parents at night because of being fearful of being in their bed by their, by when they're alone. I did have a phobia when it came to lightning. I literally thought that every time it there was a thunderstorm, and especially with lightning, that I was going to get struck by lightning. And I would just shut down, and I had like a little crawl space underneath the steps in the home that I grew up in, and I would literally just panic and hide under there. And I refused to do anything that was supposed to happen that day, whether it was school a family activity, sleep, all of the above. So it definitely affected my 
ability to proceed with functional, usual activities of my day. Now, there's also things like social phobias. Kids can develop social phobias um, based on, you know, people that they either meet in their everyday life or people that are strangers to them. And severe shyness can keep them from making friends at school and even relating to others. So they might feel really conscious and avoid situations that they should be participating in, things like birthday parties, um, clubs and organizations or sports. And they may find it difficult to comfortably talk to anyone outside of the immediate family. Separation anxiety is also very common in children. And the fear can be so intense that when the family moves um, to a new neighborhood or there's a new childcare setting or a new school or anything like that, that, those are things that can trigger those fears. And they might be afraid to really go anywhere, especially attending school. And their pho- phobias often lead to physical symptoms like headaches or stomach aches. And so that kind of goes back to what I had mentioned. There's a thought process. Uh, this is something that we use with cognitive behavior therapy. There's a there's circumstance. There's a thought process around that circumstance. Those thoughts create feelings. Our feelings then create actions, and our actions absolutely affect our body physically and emotionally. So the good news is that most phobias are treatable. And if your child's anxieties persist or interfere with their day-to-day and enjoyment in life, then they may benefit from meeting from a child psychologist or a psychologist who actually works to treat and specialize in phobias. I mentioned cognitive behavior therapy. Behavior therapy is probably one of the best ways in order to help your child overcome significant fears and phobias. As part of the treatment plan for phobias, many therapists can sometimes suggest exposing your child to the source of anxiety, but I want to tell you in very small and non-threatening doses. And I really recommend that this be guided by a therapist who is trained and knows how to do this. So under the therapist's guidance, let's use the dog analogy, okay? They might begin by just talking about the fear. And then once they get past that, the next step is to actually look at photos or videos of dogs. Next, they might watch a neighborhood dog from behind the safety of a window, and then the parent or therapist at their side could maybe spend a few minutes in the same room with a friendly or gentle puppy or dog. Eventually, they'll find themselves able to pet the dog, and then over time, ease into situations with larger, unfamiliar dogs. This gradual process you may or may not have heard of is called desensitization, meaning your child will become little by little less sensitive to the source of their fear each time they're confronted with it. Ultimately, your child will no longer have the fear or need to avoid that situation that has been the basis of their phobias. 
I remember when I was a child, the first step was just sitting with my parents and being with them and having them reassure me and feel safe during a storm. And then I also remember them walking me down the street where there was a big white church with a steeple. And they showed me that there was a lightning rod on the top of that steeple and and explained to me how if lightning was going to strike, it was likely to strike something that was much higher than them. And then we looked at pictures and and so on. So you get the idea. And I'm happy to say, as a very old adult, I am no longer afraid, but I I was became desensitized much early on. But the process is slow. So you need to be patient. You need to make sure that they're feeling safe. And I truly believe if it's something significant that it really should be done, especially like a dog, for example, should be done with the cooperation and collaboration of a therapist. Psychotherapy can also help them become more self-assured and less fearful, improve their self-esteem, give them the opportunity to become more social and make friends and separate from the family, for example. Breathing and relaxation exercises also help in immediate stressful situations too. I always tell kids, you always have your breath. Now, I will tell you, I mentioned that to one of my patients in the office. I wanted, to, I think she was around 10 or 11. And as soon as I said that, she's like, well, I want you to know I also get short of breath too. And I thought, okay, well, that's how this is affecting her body. But I explained to her how she can just take a moment and calm down. What I love about breathing is they can do it anywhere. So let's say they're really scared in the classroom test anxiety, or they're fearful of being called upon, and they start to feel that panic feeling. Breathing is something they can do without any of their peers really even noticing that they're going through this. So I highly recommend reviewing a a cool breathing technique. One of the ones I offer uh, and I show, and I know I can't demonstrate because this is a... uh, podcast and it's all audio is I tell them to trace their fingers and their hands. So I start with the base of the hand by the wrist and you breathe in and go up the side of the hand to the top of the pinky and then breathe out down the other side of the pinky, up the ring finger and down, and then up the middle finger and down, up the pointer and all the way down to the base of the thumb up the thumb and back. And each time taking a deep breath as the as you guide up and then a nice slow breath out, breathing out when you go down. And that's something super easy that they, they can do and they get five nice deep breaths in. In very rare cases, medication might need to be offered. And that again, this is very, very rare. But, and that's usually if behavior therapy isn't enough. But I want to tell you that medications such as antidepressants, or um, which are designed to ease the anxiety and panic, of do not address the underlying problem. And the best outcome is therapy in addition to medication. So as I said, this is such a fun time of year. Like I love sweater weather. I love fall. I love the the costumes and the decorations. 
Not everybody does. And I think that just being aware, knowing what your kids are watching, setting some guidelines about what is expected in the home and outside of the home, also helping them understand why it is that you want to protect them against things that might be scary, that might have adult or violent uh, content, even if they feel that they can handle it. And you can explain to them, it's not that you don't you don't feel like they can handle it. It's just that you know even having those images or even being exposed is in one way or another going to affect them. And as they grow and learn, then they'll be able to see that for themselves. As media, as we all know, is so readily available and more and more kids have their own phones, for example, don't be afraid to set some safety measures and talk about what it is that they're watching, they're seeing, co-watch, watch things with them, do it with them so that you get an opportunity to see what they really see and also get an opportunity to talk about it and to stop whatever it is if you do notice that it's upsetting your child. And if they do have fears, remember the pearls, listen attentively and silently, reflect on what they say. Offer some empathetic statements and let them know that you support them. And then if those fears become phobias, talk to your pediatrician or healthcare provider about the possibility of behavior therapy. Enjoy the fall. I get excited, like I said, about this time of year, and I hope it is safe and fulfilling without fear and without phobias. And let's grow up together. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Up with Dr. Sarah. If you enjoyed this episode and think the information shared here today could benefit someone else, take a screenshot of the episode and post to your Instagram story. Make sure you tag us at Growing Up with Dr. Sarah so we can spread the word about the show and continue to grow in our mission to support as many parents and families as possible. Hey, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or would like to suggest a topic, please visit www.growingupwithdrsarah.com slash contact. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Stay tuned for a brand new episode next week as we continue to grow up together.